those guys aren't so shallow after all. <laughs> Funny we both laughed just, at that. Yeah. <laughs> they're not just fueled by diversive curiosity, they're actually quite epistemic. You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. Hello and welcome once again to The Occupational Philosophers, a not-so-serious business podcast designed to spark your curiosity, imagination and creativity. And Simon, hello to you. Hello to you, John, and it's a pleasure to join you on the couch of curiosity as always. <laughs> a couch, nice and comfy. Let's yeah, get comfy. Absolutely. Let's explore something today. What's, uh, but before we start, we always like to ask each other about what's caught our I this week. Uh, so maybe you could share what's caught your eye this week. What's been uh, happening for you? Well, really, it's our curious eye as well. So that how do what have we seen in the world that has intrigued us? And John, going through a midlife crisis, as all people around a certain age start to do, and you start to do things differently. So you start wearing like tight white slacks, maybe get a toupee as well. But look, I've decided to add the third piece, as I haven't added the other two, but I've gone and got my motorbike. L's. So I've gone and bought myself a moped, John. So I'm now a street warrior on that. <laughs> <laughs> moped, it's, it's not Harley Davidson, is it? No, it's, it's not. not. Midlife crisis. It, it's, a, it's a little crisis, John, just a little one. But what I've noticed is since having this moped, how you provide you access to a group of people. It's almost like being on two wheels all of a sudden means you're part of a another subculture. And look, uh, as you know, I live about an hour and 20 minutes out of the CBD, but I brought this moped in Sydney and it's quite a long drive to, that's an hour and 20 minutes by full pace car. So I had to drive it <laughs> home. So I'm coming across the Harbour Bridge, just bricking myself because I haven't ridden a, a moped for quite a while and uh, eight or ten lanes and like panicking but then I got on these windy <laughs> back roads coming all the way up to my place and it's where you have real serious bikers going you know they do these long you know weekend trips funny thing was everyone who went past me gave me the nod so I'm humming along at about 80 kilometers an hour but these real serious bikers gave me the nod and I thought look at this just two wheels brings me into a a new culture, and I was just interested in the sort of the sociology of this, how this get this sort of instant recognition, and I don't know. That's my. Are you sure? Are you sure it was a nod? They weren't just looking you up and down, saying, "What? What are you driving there?" <laughs> no, the it was a nod. Know? There was certainly like a, a nod. You know, like you know, when you're driving in a car and you just get like the one finger goes up, and they go it's sort of like if you used to be when we're driving our Volkswagen around Europe, you get the the nod from other Volkswagen drivers. So. And that's a Harley Davidson one. I'm doing something which doesn't work for radio. <laughs> it's like the hang loose sign is what you do. The hang loose, that's the one. Yeah, that's the easy rider. Type oh, thing as well. Okay, all right. Well, I didn't know. So it's just that that thing of how bonds are formed, how connections are made, and literally just having those two wheels is all of a sudden you go, oh, hey. Yeah, there You're you go. The what about you, John? What's caught your curious eye this week? Well, I haven't bought a moped <laughs> <laughs> or uh, a Harley Davidson. I have been curious about a story I saw, which is about how a robot called Ada, as in AI-DA, you can yep. see what they've done there. I can see that. A bit of artificial, artificial intelligence there, creating art. So this is a robot that has a robotic arm and obviously sensors in the face that can look at something and effectively recreate that with a robotic arm doing all these gentle strokes and brushes and and style of painting that at the end of it has produced a picture. And the question is, is it still art? And there you go. Now that could be an episode in itself. Yeah, and look, when you say, uh, look, art's in the eye of the beholder, so if you call it art, you, in some sense, it, it is art. Is it? Are they sort of realistic representations of something that already exists, or is it original there's are they what are they working from what's ada working? Uh, they're working from something they're looking at so i think okay. it is recreating i don't know if they can paint they paint well here we go she tells you this is ada that she can paint what she sees um so it's not from imagination so it's an algorithm that's a program that looks at what she is observing and then 
detects how to recreate that is my understanding. So my thought was, is it art? Because as you say, it is in the eye of the beholder. But I did wonder, does the art also become art because it's an expression of someone's thought, imagination and experience projected onto a canvas or in a sculpture or something, in which case a robot couldn't do that? Well, in that sense, they're giving us a reproduction, and this is a debate which people, you often hear this thing, they say, oh, we're doing some arts and crafts, are you? Sort of like, you know, a bit twee. Here's the difference. Art is original. Craft is a repeated skill. So you might be a ceramicist, might be a craftsman because they repeat and not knocking either of them. This is the the idea between the two. Craft is that repeated skill. So you might be a wonderful oh. craftsman because you've honed your craft. Or an artist, in that sense, is someone who, while they hone their art, they're constantly uh, reimagining things. That's how we were taught at uh, university. So in that sense, you could be saying the robot is producing a craft rather than art. And... If they're not producing Mm. something original, is it art anyway, John? So there's a much bigger question here, but I've been thinking about this actually during the week. Yeah. Well, I I was thinking, taking it to a logical conclusion, it could be in the future we could be looking at pieces of art and saying something like, that's rubbish. My toaster could do better than that. Building on Ada, the painter, the art, the craft, leads nicely into today's episode. And today we're going to explore the question, which is often asked, is technology killing our creativity? But I thought we'd look at it through the lens of our, what we call our holy trinity of creativity, curiosity, and imagination. So is technology killing our creativity, curiosity, and imagination? And I thought we'd do a little bit of a maybe a for and against, just to like a little bit of, you know, the debating club or something along those lines, just to get a nice sort of rounded argument rather than a bit of a a rant on our soapbox, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) I've got thoughts, but I I thought it'd be really nice to look at this from from both angles. I'm ready to rant. All right, John, (laughs) let's rant. John, what are your thoughts then? What lens do we need to look for, look through, I should say? And are we even asking the right question? Yeah, I think it's a, it's absolutely a good question. It's a very complicated question, though. So I started to unpick it by thinking about curiosity first and foremost. And as you look into that topic of curiosity, you realize there's different types. There's what's known as diversive curiosity. And that is what we would know to be driven by novelty, just the desire to know something. So that is social media. (laughs) What's the next thing? So straight away, you see technology kind of fueling that diversive curiosity. It's um, clickbait, you know, going down the rabbit hole. It's that moment in a horror movie where they go, what's behind this door? Oh, okay. <laughs> and you, you're there going, no, you don't want to know that. Don't anyway, open it. That desire to find something new drives people to, to do that. And so you might argue that technology is fantastic at fueling diversive curiosity because it's all around us. That is exactly how the whole kind of system works, I would imagine, and suspect pays well to lots of corporations to do that. But then, and then we come to the philosophical side of things, there is epistemic curiosity. And epistemic, as in epistemology, and that which is about knowledge and how we come to know what we know, that is characterized by effort and persistence and focus and a desire to learn so epistemic curiosity is great that is what allows us to innovate and think and problem solve and go deep into something build our understanding of something to create for example yeah and then the last one which i think does relate uh, to in some way here as well is empathic curiosity and that is that desire to know another another's thoughts feelings perspective values beliefs etc so that's all about then that curiosity in other people and i think that's relevant here as well certainly when you think about technology again and how we connect via zoom and look at each other through screens we are compared to when we come together and physically want to 
get together to make something happen, to create, to collaborate, or whatever. So that was my first thought. So you would argue that technology is definitely ramping up diversive curiosity, but maybe is not so good at fueling that epistemic or empathic curiosity. That would be my opening gambit, Mr. Banks. Oh, well done. Well done. <laughs> I like I it. That without much gap there. That was, that was not a bad start, was it, for us? No, it was good. It was good. It, you flowed and there was, some, there was some energy and I was bought into that argument. Have you ever thought a, a, a side career maybe as a legal counsel as well? So. <laughs> now, that's, I, that's my opening premise. So maybe why don't we start to look through that, again, that lens of that sort of for and against. Why don't we actually go have a little look, if we're going to assume that technology is harming our imagination, our creativity and our curiosity, let's have a look at some of the things through that lens. And what I often go to, you're wandering down the street and you, uh, and I often actually notice this, I'll, I'll reframe it, actually, not just wandering around the street, you're in a situation which might be considered travel. And we talk about this a lot, uh, sort of traveling, what it does. And you might see, imagine back in the day, you had to wait on at a bus stop. Okay, so you might have 15 or 20 people there. Generally, everyone's smoking back in the day because uni travel, everyone seemed to smoke to kill the time. But there's a lot of conversation. What do you see now? You see people down on their phones. So there's no conversation going on. And there's generally a lack of looking up and about and what's happening in the world around you. So my thoughts are like when you're in that space is that piece of technology empowering your curiosity or is it hindering your curiosity? And my sense is, especially from a travel mindset, when your eyes are meant to be taking everything you can with traveler's eyes, you're not doing that because you're stuck on a piece of technology. Yeah, well, that whole thing of technology there where you say, as you say, people there, never alone if you've got a phone is what they say. Oh, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do. If you're alone waiting in the restaurant or the pub, you're never alone with a phone. You can look like you're engaged yeah. in something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I haven't thought of that. I mean, not in yeah. that exact way. So does that rob us of opportunities to engage with the world in a greater way? And you might, you know, yes. if you have a, because I remember the first time I took off to see the world, I went by myself. My friends pulled out. So I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So I was in the States by myself. Didn't know a soul. But then as such, you had to get out of that comfort zone and you would engage with people that you hadn't met before. And I also noticed, this may be going off track, you realise that people you might not engage with at home, all of a sudden you realise through just being curious and asking good questions, thinking, oh, how do I connect to this person? What might be a good opening line here? All of a sudden you meet some really cool cats as well. So if the phone never lets you be alone, is that a bad thing as well, John? Mm. Well, so people may be connecting with others when they're on said phone, but you're right. What they're doing is they're shutting off their immediate environment and surroundings, which, as you say, could be then a, a lack of epistemic and empathic curiosity. They're not there then sort of connected with people. They're not connecting with their environment. Plenty of diversive curiosity going on. You suspect they're on their phone scrolling and maybe looking at the latest instagram post or putting something on their own up there whatever but yeah you instinctively i kind of feel that that is a good example where yeah technology is getting in the way We often talk around this piece uh, around creating the right space for creativity, that sort of original thought, you know, be curious and imagination to come together and think around that, as we know, studies show us and we know ourselves, it really comes in that moment of uh, stress or a high amount of distraction. Imagine if you're, let's say, you're a parent and you're constantly getting pinged <laughs> by the kids, mum, dad, mum, dad. You, they're not your most creative moments, uh, as in they might be because you're problem solving. You don't go to you go to a different space in your head. So I think the distraction of our phone, if we're using that piece around thinking about always having it in our phone, for me that can be a hindrance to creating that right space and environment. And think around it: why the phone can kill your boredom, so you're never alone. It also kills the opportunity, I would say, to let our minds wander. 
Mm. And that's when you can join dots, isn't it? And pat and see patterns is when you're able to wander and connect disparate ideas. You can only sometimes do that in that kind of more exploratory mode, as you say. It's the distraction that's killing things here, isn't it? The yeah. constant distraction, interruption. Yeah, and so maybe the question is not around is technology killing our creativity, but is it the distraction of technology killing our creativity? And I've got an, a little example here, John, a little anecdote. Back in Australia, we're travelling again, so work is resembling a little bit more what it used to maybe in our part of the world two and a half years ago, and that is you do a lot of travel on planes and Australia's quite a large country, so <laughs> there's a lot of sort of travel time coming to and from these uh, uh, things with clients. I had a 45-minute taxi ride last night and I sat on my phone the whole time and I literally exhausted <laughs> everything on my phone. Uh, I went through the emails and I read this new site, a new site, you know, Facebook, Instagram. And I, I, on reflection, I got out of the airport and I thought, Did, that could have been such a waste of time. I didn't even, I don't know, there was no, there was no point just letting my mind rest at the end of what would have been a couple of very busy few days. So I thought it's this, it's this same experience and it's ran with what was in front of me. That's an interesting one as well. The fact that the constant distraction, digital distraction, means that we don't rest the mind. And of course, we know, as you say, there's environment, but also mental state that's needed for curiosity, focus, learning, etc. You can't do that unless the mind is, is A, rested, and then B, focused on something that you want to learn about or create. So I think you're right. It's digital distraction constantly gets in the way of that rest and focus. Yeah, and as we know, that creative thinking, as we've explored many times, comes in that space where your mind is rested, so you're not distracted, which is the shower, running, as you've spoken about, having a few beers at the pub. So when you start to loosen up, and I thought on reflection, you know, sort of breaking myself a little bit, I just sat there and had a reflected on the two days. But, I, you know, I didn't. I didn't even look up out the window. <laughs> I was just looking down the whole time and I thought, oh, what have I, what have I become, John? What have I become? So. <laughs> well, you might have been looking at, uh, you could have been looking at ideas for the show. Well, here's the thing. I, wasn't, you I, was you? Just, no. I was just scrolling whatever I could and I went through. I mean, I was reading a little bit, but I don't know. There's not, there not a space for, for letting your mind to rest. So, John, building on this idea of technology and possibly where it can take us, do you have any technology that pings you or alerts you or uh, makes a chime? I don't have a chime. I think I've managed to turn those off. <laughs> uh, but I haven't turned off the banners, you know, the things that just yeah. pop up on the screen that just kind of sort of stack up one on top of the other. Frankly, most of that is not something that should really catch my attention. Mm. It's usually the school telling me that the kids need to bake a cake tomorrow or dress up as a chicken for some fancy dress day. <laughs> so, but that's it then. Then I've got that in my head and uh, I'm not thinking about what it was I was meant to be thinking about. So, so yeah, I do get distracted by those. Definitely. You've caught me out. Look, I've managed to, I've got one or two, which I still have open, but I've managed to keep every all the other ones quiet but it's funny my son who's 13 has his phone on and it literally pings every two or three seconds <laughs> so <laughs> you can find it anywhere in the house because so so it's more like a metronome yeah a little bit like that you could almost if you if you could you use it as a relaxing sound you could go to sleep by it now the reason i asked this is we, remember we did our show on the big M and about finding your flow and how you get into that mm. flow. Now, studies from the University of California, and this is, I guess, relatively well known, that after each interruption, it takes over 23 minutes to refocus. Wow. So your mm. ping and then takes you 23 minutes to refocus. What's more, if the interruption takes you onto something else, this multitasking can sap your brain power. It's up to the equivalent of dropping 10 IQ points. So, <laughs> is, that, is that each task? So, what if I did 10 tasks? I'd basically. You're down to zero in. by the end of the day. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, actually, it often feels like that, I think. Well, there, there's something probably in that, but just think around that. Every bit of distraction, and this goes to a greater discussion around how you set yourself up to be in the flow and create that space, which we often, this all stuff interweaves, how we create that space for your best work. Not even say your most productive work, but you just say what are your best work. But think every time you get a, a distraction or every time you turn your phone over, to look at it, and I've caught myself doing this so much. I think the last maybe six weeks, I thought, "Oh man, I've got a bit of a problem." Like, <laughs> like literally, I and you know, there's that. I forget how many times. It's about three hundred times a day. Many of us check our phone, but each of those is a distraction, isn't it? So that's especially if you look at it and then you open that piece. That's twenty three minutes of flow time gone. Well, and and of course, this is. The neuroscience bears it out yeah. as well, is of course that that diversity of curiosity and how that is served by pings and clickbaits and yeah. uh, those little links to stuff that has us go seeking more new things. Yeah. It fires out dopamine. It yeah. fires out that chemical that goes to the reward center in the brain and goes, bang, you get a hit, which is when why you do have a proper serious study around technology addiction specifically phone addiction i mean it's a, it is a thing that people are getting that kind of buzz and hit from this kind of stuff and it's it's problematic and i would say that creativity and creative thinking being highly curious sits on the opposite side of that spectrum of instant gratification mm. i think that's it and again it, for me it's that diversive to the epistemic curiosity piece one serves the desire for new and novelty and is well served by technology Mm-hmm. not always for good effect yeah and the other the other's interesting because of course and maybe we'll come to technology when we think about how it helps curiosity yes of course, yes the internet is a fantastic tool yeah yes so we'll come to that but perhaps it's not being tapped into as much as it could be i think the last one here simon was about the empathic curiosity that i mentioned earlier oh yeah there is definitely something here where we could talk about the scenarios whereby technology gets in the way of people connecting whether that is just in meetings you know how many times you've been in a meeting you've got people sort of turning the phone over and you're just what that be in the room you're in a meeting why are you looking at your phone yeah and it's endemic you know you see that constantly so technology absolutely in a very small way just infringes on that abilities for people to be present and in the room together you know say in a meeting which should have some value you know it should be there for a a purpose which has some value to the business for example and then the other one is just again social media it's that do we have empathic curiosity do we, in other people when technology has us just firing out tweets and messages and posts that say here's what i think and somebody else says well here's what i think and we don't ask the question well why do you think that technology doesn't encourage or certainly in that social media sphere that twitter sphere encourage that desire to know why we just shout at each other it's sort of like uh, <laughs> I, not me personally i'm not i'm not shouting any tweets well i'm not a shout i can't even get the terminology right <laughs> what is but it I, a sheet is it is a shouting tweet a sheet i don't know you're sheeting could me be. man yeah <laughs> yeah it could be a new term there we go there you go hashtag sheeting <laughs> But what I I do, uh, you know, this point around we are more connected, but I read somewhere the other day that someone was saying, look, Facebook has just become a newsletter. Literally, I'm doing this, look at it, and people comment. So it's that, that you are connected, but it's like, look at my cat, look at my whatever. Is there anything there that drives curiosity? That always makes me laugh. I mean... When I was young, I always remember my mum and dad used to get the Christmas card with the letter in it, oh, which yeah. then was from <laughs> Uncle Pat and Auntie Joan, and it just used to say, this year, here's what we've been doing. And it would be this massive list of things. We went to the cinema. We had dinner at a pub. We took the dog for a walk. And it would go on and on. You used to be going, why are you telling me this? <laughs> but now... We've got a digital format. We can say that all the time. Don't just not just once a year at Christmas. <laughs> Past uh, girlfriend of mine, her family did that. They sent out the family 
letter every year. And I was always fascinated by it, not like in a bad way. I thought, man, that's a lot of effort, but they'd send it out and maybe like good seven or eight pages of the year in summary. So it's like a mini thesis of the, <laughs> yeah. of the, of the in, year. In February, in February, we went for a walk on the Quantock Hills. It was very nice. Joan had packed some tuna and cucumber sandwiches. They were delicious. But then they, but then they go in. I'm not going to try and do your voice, but they go. However, Stuart doesn't like tuna and cucumber, so he had the peanut butter. I said to Stuart, "Why don't you like tuna and cucumber?" Then he said, "Mum, it's not my thing." And I said, "Okay." Then he said, "Should we keep walking?" And I said, "Yes." <laughs> and then he'll say, <laughs> and if, "The amount of detail, March, isn't it?" <laughs> It will. And it'll go from tuna and cucumber sandwiches to then go, in March, the dog died. Full stop. <laughs> Full stop, yeah. April, we had Easter eggs. Anyway. That's another line. So, but back, back to sheeting. So, <laughs> but it makes us more connected than ever before, which is, is lovely. And I, I really like, you know, you can connect with people you went to school with or it's going to be good or bad. But like you said, is it connecting us in, in the right way? Yeah, not in a deep way. We might be having those points of contact, those little touch points. And again, that is that is there is value in that. We could talk to that later. But in that empathic curiosity, really getting to understand each other at a human level, I feel some of the sort of things you see tend to suggest that doesn't happen so much, certainly in certain spheres of society or life online life doesn't happen yeah and there might be something yeah here in like that we get have so much data so we get all this information from data so technology provides more data than ever before but really it's that human aspect that we have that helps us interpret the story in the data and therefore how you're going to share that story make sense of that data is that very human element which sort of lends to what i was talking about when i speak at technology conferences it's always around that intersection of humanity over technology and then the last thing is you realize as well that the internet's very geared up to give us the data that it thinks we want so we have a certain perspective a certain view and so then what we then find is more data that corroborates a certain belief or a value or an idea and just serves us back things that sort of further strengthen our perspective on something. And we exist in bubbles. People talk about bubbles and echo chambers. And then we're kind of bounded and actually then don't often seek, in a curious way, other perspectives. We read a paper because it confirms yeah. certain beliefs or biases we might have. You know, that, again, means we don't reach out to go beyond those boundaries to seek out something new in terms of perspectives. Now, we haven't had a quote, John, yet, but I will go to a, a Kevin Kelly quote from, I believe, the author of A Thousand True Fans and also contributed to Wired magazine, a very cool person, looked him up. But his quote is, uh, machines are for answers, but humans are for questions, which goes mm-hmm. to your piece around technology and how we can make sure we're getting the right answers as well that technology provides. And Jez Rose spoke about this in our last episode. How do we question that, what those answers we're getting? Yeah. And, of course, you can ask questions as humans, as it says there, but we could ask, what do you do? Uh, What does that do, say, in businesses? But then the better question is clearly, but why do you do that what you do? Or why does that do what it does? And why is it that way? And for whose benefit? Where's the impact? And so we have better questions that are curiosity that is not just the knowing of something, some piece of information, but actually trying to get information that provides insight. And that's where there's some value to be had by being curious. Now, speaking of good questions, I think this will wrap up our uh, technology is killing creativity section. And this, I'm just reading something from uh, the world of advertising. And I really like this because it said, how do you create a memorable brand? through creativity and creating something memorable so that when someone's ready, they remember who you are. 
It's about making it onto that mental shortlist. And this is the piece which goes to this. Data is an input, technology an enabler, but it's creativity through ideas and experiences that will make someone remember you. And again, we often go to the technology first rather than think what's the idea, whether the technology would deliver this idea, what's the big idea that drives this? So it can be technology-focused rather than... So maybe we're asking, we say, is technology killing creativity? Are we asking the wrong question to start with? Yeah, that's a, maybe that's a great one to sort of conclude this section, but I think you're right. Maybe we reach for technology too quickly. So technology is good, but we're just, it's our use of it. And when we reach for it, that maybe is getting in the way, not technology in and of itself. And remember Tanya Chua, uh, the design powerhouse that we spoke to, and she said from her podcast, all of the creatives she listens to, they do their creativity offline. That was one of the key things. Mm-hmm. All these who lead all these large brand and ad agencies who are right up there on that sort of global leaders around creative thinking, they take their creativity offline, even though they deliver it uh, across multi-channels online. And on that note then, reaching for technology too quickly, maybe it is a call to arms here is to say, look, just recognize you've got to do some stuff offline and you're going to do some stuff online. Don't go for the online too quickly. Make sure you find space to do offline stuff, whether that's individually as teams or in a business. John, it's time for another thought experiment. Just for some context, great philosophers throughout time have been doing thought experiments. It challenges their thinking, gives them different frames to look through, makes them ponder some really big questions. So each and every week, If you're listening for the first time, we like to run our own little thought experiments. And this week, because we're on our technology episode, this week's thought experiment is called app or crap. So what will happen is I am going to describe an app to you. And you have to tell me, is it an app or is it crap? So is it true or not? So the first one, this app is called... I am important. And what this app does is it populates your calendar and diary with meetings and notes and emails from very, very important people. So if someone picks up your phone or when you look at it, you think, oh, wow, I'm busy. And look at who I've got meetings with. Aren't I an important person? Is that app (laughs) or crap? Wow. So immediately I thought, no, that's got to be crap. But then I started to think, oh, I don't know. We we are becoming a more (laughs) self-obsessed, narcissistic type of world with all this technology and and thinking about ourselves a little. But I don't believe someone's going to call it I am important. There might be something similar and we might think it, but I don't think there's an app. I think it's crap. John, this is an app. (laughs) <laughs> so oh. this is true i'm not saying they're a successful app but this was invented literally to make you feel important a fake diary organizer designed to make you look like in the words of the app itself a top flying shaker for example it would generate made-up contacts in the app put them in your address books those contacts aren't just low-life nobodies they're highly important highly paid business people better people (laughs) then create fake events and insert them into your calendar this is to make you look busy and important (laughs) as important people are involved in many events these important people sound really good and interesting so first one i (laughs) i want to find that and i want to i want to know what's happened to that (laughs) i'm gonna get it i could try that out second (laughs) one app or crap this is called pablo picasso Now, this is when you're eating your peas, which are a great staple of the English diet. If you see a pea and you think this could look like an artwork, you photograph that on your phone and it'll turn that pea into a Picasso-style painting. App or crap? Pablo Picasso. So if you've got peas, is it that you'd organise them and make some art and take a picture of it, and it would be a Pablo Picasso. Is that no, if you just saw a pea and you thought, oh, this looks interesting, you take a photo of it, 
and your phone will turn that singular P into a we'll Picasso turn, painting. We'll turn a P into a piece yeah. of art. <laughs> That's insane. That's got to be crap. That is right. That is crap. I mean, I could un- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I could understand if it was broccoli <laughs> or, or another vegetable. There's not enough to work with. Peas, you haven't got enough to work with. <laughs> From the great mine of Simon Banks, Pablo Picasso. <laughs> Uh, you, you better get that trademarked. I mean, if I am important can get an app off the ground, then certainly Pablo Picasso. I'm thinking there's something in that, though. It might be, I think the group, have you said it? You said the group of peas. And I thought, oh, God, I should have thought of that. Anyway, there you go. Right. Yeah, yeah. Peas yeah. on the plate. Peas on the plate. Right. I'm going to get my rival app out quickly. <laughs> okay. Just got to think of a name Pocket Heat. App or crap? Now, this is an app on your phone designed to, when it gets below a certain temperature, to start producing heat to warm your body. Pocket heat, app or crap? I mean, that just sounds downright dangerous. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I can imagine something that, no, no, it can't. How did it's got to have some sort of temperature? gauge on it it's got to be crap I, I i can't imagine they'd have a phone that would have the abilities to to measure temperature well maybe but if it started heating up that's the battery now john set fire to your trousers it's no, crap john it? this is app crap okay this was an app however oh you've pointed out the holes in this one already because obviously drain the drain <laughs> well the holes are in the trousers <laughs> apart from the flaming underpants was the drain the battery <laughs> in a very short amount of time <laughs> so this was <laughs> liar liar your pants are on fire literally Turn it off. So yeah, that was an oh, app God. that was uh, didn't work out. Okay, we've got two more. We've got two more. Purify thy way. Now, if you're, uh, let's say you're you're brought up as a Christian, you know, Christian church, and that believe no um, interrelations before you're married. But obviously, you know, when you're young, you, you can feel tempted. So what would happen is you would turn on Purify Thy Way. You would put it again in your pocket. What it would do is measure your body's uh, sensual vibrations if you're out on a date, if you're starting to become aroused. (laughs) And then it would shout out a proverb, a psalm or other verse (laughs) to remind you to resist temptation and just continue on with your date but with pure thoughts. Purify thy way. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna say I'm gonna say app just because I think I've said crap to everything so far. So I'm gonna play the odds and say this is an app. Can we have a third category of crap app? Is it app crap or crap app? But I'm gonna say it's an app. John, that is crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you do that, I just you just want the phone to say stop it. There's some other. It, it made me think of some things which I heard about <laughs> growing up that were not <laughs> dissimilar. But I, I, won't, oh. I won't share them in this moment. Now, <laughs> a digital not dissimilar. Phone. Yes, <laughs> you do something along those lines. Now, last one, John. This is I French kiss. And this is you French kiss the screen of your phone and it gives you a rating. App or crap? Ooh, I could get one right here, but I think that is an app because obviously the screen is is sensitive to skin and and I suspect lips as well. So I'm going to go app, actually. I could imagine people doing that they look as if they just really deeply in love with their phone but yeah they could be using it to practice but john you come home with the wind in your sails and that is correct that is an app so thank you for joining us this week on app or crap john we have thrown the coin up in the air it has fallen and this time we shall look at the tails side of our coin toss being technology is not killing our creativity, but exactly the opposite. 
As with last time, would you like to kick off with your curious thoughts? Well, I mean, the first off is that you kind of immediately drawn to the fact that technology means that we have this wonderful abundance of knowledge. We've got the storage of knowledge. We've got the speed of access to said knowledge. I mean, the internet is the ultimate resource for the curious mind, isn't it? You've got mm. online courses. We can study anything at any time. We can go and explore art galleries online that might be on the other side of the world. We can go and explore things. We could look at you know, Google Earth. We can go and visit a place virtually. We can go and see what it's like. We can see the landscape. We can see the. We could see exactly what it's like to be there. So undoubtedly, the ability for us to be curious in an epistemic way and actually deepen our understanding and learn things is incredible. So I think that absolutely kicks things off. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool that we have at our disposal, or rather range of tools that we have at our disposal. Um, Technology is fantastic enabler. Now, we also, we spoke a little bit about this before, but and we might be going over the same thing, but I think it's worth mentioning, you know, we have so much knowledge available and that data and the content is there, but our innovation, our creativity, rather than being killed by that, actually enables us to know what to do with that data and information. So rather than having thinking that's uh, stopped us thinking differently, it actually provides that platform for us to go, okay, well, now how do I apply my humanness to find the, the meaning in this and the sense of this and what this data really saying? And that's what our creativity does. Yeah, because we've already said many times before that creativity is seeing patterns, joining dots, connecting disparate things. And, of course, we've got a wealth of disparate things that we could be looking at. And so it still needs that moment, that spark to actually then draw that together. So absolutely, it is still then the part where we take all of that and create meaning from it, create insight from it. All information is not created equal. Of course, some information such as Kanye West's latest <laughs> car that he bought is not information that generates any insight, but something about... Uh, the, the circumference of the universe, that's quite useful to us, maybe. I don't know what it is. I'm sure somebody could ring in to tell us. <laughs> Someone's sheeting us right now, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake, man. What are you talking about? So, yes, it's not all created equal, and so we have this wonderful ability to get the information we need to generate insight, to really get to a depth of understanding about something. Again, so absolutely is an argument for technology. And I would say technology provides a platform for our creativity to shine. And think about it. Let's, oh, uh, yeah, ask you a question. Have you heard of a guy called George Beauchamp? George Beauchamp? No. Don't Google it. Okay. Have you heard no. of a guy called Jimi Hendrix? I have. Obviously, a rhetorical <laughs> question. Now, here's the deal. George Beauchamp invented the electric guitar because he's the inventor of that technology. However, Jimi Hendrix brought that technology to life with his imagination. So if you think about it like this, I always think technology and imagination are partners. And without that technology, Jimi Hendrix wouldn't have had that ability to let his creativity shine but that technology by itself was nothing without Jimi Hendrix's innovation and the way he looked at it and his way of doing things differently. Yeah, I mean, if you think about that, really, without the electric guitar for Jimi Hendrix to have set fire to on stage, he would have just been an arsonist. Yeah. <laughs> but in the stage of performance, he, he, he was fine. So <laughs> He was a genius. There you go. Thin line, thin line. Yeah. And if you think about a, a bigger example of this, and again, we, we, we always go here when we speak around technology companies and where do people go? They go to you know, Uber, they go to Airbnb, etc. But think about it with that technology provided that platform for that human need to be solved. 
And as we've spoken about before, Airbnb uh, come from a design perspective. They're solving that human problem. But it's really that technology platform that has allowed that being at home when you're not at home, being part of a community, feeling connected, living like the locals, which has enabled, and I appreciate not every city has embraced, <laughs> has embraced that, that platform, but it's that technology has allowed that humanness to shine on top of it or the, that human need has been in, empowered by the technology. And that leads nicely into the other thought around creativity and innovation is that it is a very human endeavour and actually humans endeavour. It's people come together often where those magical things happen. It's very rarely that isolated soul genius who's creating and innovating. It is a collaborative effort. And of course, again, technology allows us to zoom all around the world. We can suddenly connect information and people and ideas together very easily with technology in a way the likes of which we've never seen before it's that ability to for technology to connect people too and it can drive empathic curiosity we can be then be connected via technology to find out more about what other people see their perspectives their beliefs their values their ideas and even though we've all had Zoom fatigue for the last couple of years, what I do love is the fact that you can still look at someone in the eye and you can connect on screen and you don't have to go through that, maybe catching a plane, driving for so many hours and all that type of stuff. So it gives you back a lot more time to do that creative stuff as well and be able to like still, even though we said it's a different experience, it enables you to still look someone in the eye, whereas you might not have been able to before. And do you think the recent changes we've had of people working from home, people working remotely, there seems to be a sort of argument forming that we can get jobs done and tasks achieved remotely and we can work through stuff together on projects and the like, but we need to physically come together for creative sessions or collaborative sessions. That's what the office is going to become useful for. But maybe yes and no again. We're kind of seeing technology still allows people to connect with ideas and the like, but is there still a place for that amongst coming back to the office to do it together? Well, I think maybe the ways technology provides us with choice, it allows us to create, it allows us to collaborate in a way which we might not have been able to before, because it gives us choice of ways of connecting and communicating and sharing and being part of a tribe that you might not have had due to physical distance. So especially in Australia, we've had like the great run from the city over COVID. So that technology has actually allowed people to pursue a completely different lifestyle further away from work that they might not have before. Mm. And that point about tribes, technology drawing tribes together. So of course you get scientific tribes, you get tribes of artists and yeah. craftspeople. And moped drivers. Yeah. <laughs> but you can now find your crew wherever you are in the world. And I would say when you connect together as well, you are doing, if you come if you come with the idea of doing something creative together, technology is that enabler. It's not blocking that as well if you use it to, as, it's, as it's designed for, for that connection piece. So that's interesting. So the technology, as you say, again, further sort of allows people to connect to a tribe. And of course, that can be a great fuel for one's creativity to be part of a tribe, which is having people having the same sort of creative ideas and thought process. You're plugged into that far more easily. You might not be able to do that just in your own local environment because there might not be people around you doing the same thing you want to do. I also like the idea of when you've been connecting online, it's almost like your warm-up. So when you get together, you might have done it for a while. You're already in that space of we're ready to go, like we've shared ideas, we've got some of that. So we we don't need to spend that time or maybe the half a day you know, getting our stuff together because that technology has enabled that sharing of that insight. So we're ready to rumble when we get together. I've changed my mind, Simon. Technology's <laughs> brilliant. Let's look at a few more things here and think about this, John, technology inspiration. Now, where do you go online if you're looking for inspiration? Do you have any spots where you think, I really like this site or I might look at this or something? 
yeah, that's true. I suppose I suddenly get access to all those TED talks. You know? Yeah, and again, they're very inspiring, and they're <laughs> and they're, I only need to hold my attention for seventeen minutes. Perfect. <laughs> and I watch them at one point two five speed, but <laughs> so I can get that hit of ideas, and then can be drawing different themes together from that stuff. So yeah, um, uh, TED talks philosophy websites or or might just go and visit an online gallery or something you can just do that in the same way that you might do physically when we said before that we might go wander the the halls of a gallery and suddenly find ourselves connecting to some problem we're trying to solve or something we're trying to create how about you yeah well the research for this show is done online isn't it like when i think around what we'll talk about i don't i mean i'm not saying that i do go to a lot of my books but i also you reach out the internet's that that great source of things to make you really curious and i also follow a lot of different artists and designers on instagram so i look at this thing oh great and it's and it's very very inspiring so rather than being a, a doom scroll which i get stuck in as well <laughs> at times but that seeing that you go oh wow that's a really interesting way so i love how artists can share their creativity and share their ideas like never before as well so not only is it great for inspiration but it's actually great for getting your ideas out into the world because has it ever been easier to or it's probably never been easy to share your ideas Mm. i'm thinking about doom scrolling and whether we can consign that to the bin and replace it with inspiring scrolling or curiosity scrolling creativity scrolling all right i'm going to uh there's something here doom scrolling yeah yeah, all right, Hashtag I like this. T-shirts, merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> Curiosity scrolling, I like this. Now, mm. one thing we often hear, uh, we have spoken about like, you know, nonstop, okay, from uh, political uh, arenas through to the world of work is the border crossing is artificial intelligence replacing human creativity or is it replacing people or will robots do the, the jobs of people? So... John, looking through that lens, what's your thoughts? Are robots going to take our jobs or not? This goes to the heart of our question. I'm very happy for a robot to come over to my house and take over a lot of jobs. That'd be great. Yeah, perfect, (laughs) perfect. This is great because what does it allow you to do? What does it give you back? Well, it will give me back time to then go and do what I want, creativity scrolling. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is when we think around technology being this great enabler because what it does, it takes away what get, what gets um, what gets done by machines is repeatable on the mundane. Okay, so that stuff which there's no creative thought to it, or there's no. Uh, I just want to have the frame this the right way. It's a, yeah, that repeatable mundane something you know anyone you can teach someone to do to a large extent, and that gets taken away. But we often hear around technology taking our jobs, but all the flip side of that is the jobs that's being created for a different type, a more human type of work that technology can't do. I wonder if, again, it, and it comes back to the idea that with that in mind, that AI will allow us to sort of free us up to do the more human things, the being creative, the being curious, the collaborating as humans to, to yeah. resolve problems together. That You come back to that quote by Kevin Kelly, look, Machines are going to have the answers, so we just need to get really good at asking questions. And think about it as well, like technology has been taking away jobs since the beginning of time, but do you see anyone who they're going, I'm from a long line of people and we used to pick up horse shit in London and when they have all the, <laughs> you know, the people go around horse and cart, we haven't been able to get jobs since. It's an outrage. Or my father was a lantern lighter. And he lit lanterns all his life. And since we had electricity, there's nothing for it. You don't hear that stuff. Like I appreciate and not making light of someone who has lost the job through automation. However, the opportunity that presents in other areas is just absolutely tremendous. And when we speak around this, what drives the world and the change we want is that uh, human creativity and curiosity intersecting, intersecting. <laughs> New word, intersecting, intersecting. Up there with cheating, cheating yeah, and intersecting. <laughs> Two new words of the week. <laughs> that intersection of humanity, curiosity, creativity, technology, that's where I believe the magic lies. Mm. 
Hey, Simon, it's time to come to some sort of summary or conclusion to our exploration today of whether technology is killing our curiosity, creativity, and imagination, or is a force for good and actually is helping us excel in every way. It's, been, it's a huge topic, isn't it, which, you, which we can't do justice to. But uh, what are some of your thoughts as we think to this in terms of being a not-so-serious business podcast? We always like to look at it through the lens of business and thinking about ourselves as individuals in organisations, as teams, and as leaders. What are your thoughts? Well, often in Australia, I'm not sure, I can't, I didn't listen to this type of radio in the UK, but if like shock jocks, they're called over here, we get sort of, you know, loud mouth radio presenters and people ring in and and whinge. And often you listen to these shows. I remember sometime someone rung in and something happened and she goes, I blame the internet. That's the internet calls all of this, and so switch it off. Yeah, so off. Well, whatever had happened, I blame the internet. Those kids on the internet, or something like that. So really, completely missing the the argument. So I think the argument here is around not blaming the technology. It's literally how we engage with technology, and putting myself firmly in the heart of this problem as someone who has the same afflictions <laughs> that so many of us do. Yeah, it's literally, for me, how we use technology rather than the technology by itself. And I think the question is, is that technology being an enabler for us or is it being a distraction? And I think if it's a distraction, it's killing not just our creativity but also our productivity or our best work and our flow. Yeah. And maybe that's it. You could imagine those two questions almost could be framed around that idea that how is technology distracting me? How is it distracting us? How is it getting in the way of what we're meant to be doing or trying to achieve? And then the flip to that would be how actually can we better use technology to encourage curiosity, creativity and imagination? And and maybe just looking at the technology as to saying it's something we can use to help and it's something we can can think about as to how it gets in the way and how can we minimise that. So, yeah, distraction and enabling and frame questions around that could be a way forward. And I think one of the worst problems around technology is it's always with us. Like we've made a choice for our – we have a, a piece of the, one of the world's most powerful computers – not the world's most powerful computers, but a, a very powerful computer in our hand 24-7. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the other thing I was realizing as well is when we say technology, huge term. Yeah. <laughs> in my mind, we were still, you know, because I'm not there going, my washing machine has ruined my life. <laughs> yeah, that technology is okay. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of the internet, that source of knowledge and abundance of everything that we might want to be able to, to learn about is there. So that's technology, mm. one aspect of it. And the other is the phone. It, when I think of, the hardware aspect of technology, I'm thinking about the phone, I think, in this discussion, particularly when we talk about distraction, that's the thing that's distracting. That's the thing that comes into view and pings and throws up little adverts and banners. I'm not sitting there going, like my washing machine, my laptop. I think my laptop's wonderful. I don't think, ah, oh, I need to, I need to, wish I could smash my laptop up. <laughs> that would be, that would be, that would be completely pointless exercise. So I think it's how we're using that internet, how we use it as a means of fueling epistemic curiosity and how we minimise that diversive curiosity, which is often fueled by the phones in our hands. That's the technology in our hands, in our face, literally in our face all the time. So that I would say, if we conclude this in a sort of a for and against, technology does not kill our creativity, curiosity and imagination but it is how we use it that has a positive or a negative impact on that part of our lives and a bunch of other parts of our life as well. Thoughts? Would you you come to the same conclusion? Yeah, I think we are. And I think most people listening in would be sort of going, well, yeah. Something we don't know. (laughs) There's going to be a no shit Sherlock moment. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh, you guys, so insightful. (laughs) But I think I would be left with the, and so that means that we've got to go back to that thing about machines have answers, humans have questions. That's where our respective skills lie. And so if we can 
think about what questions we want to ask to be able to serve that epistemic curiosity and then use that to create and innovate, then that's our way forward. So let's ask questions of the technology we have, make it work for us rather than just having a having it ping at us all the time, telling us, look at me, look at me. <laughs> it's, it's the ultimate attention seeker, isn't it, the, our phone? Now, if we go look through our uh, individual team leadership lens, what are some things we could try in the workplace, even just at home, but in that sort of business ecosystem where we make technology be an enabler rather than what's some experiments we could run, John, do you think? Well, I was taken by what you said earlier about the comment by, I think it was Tanya, yeah, Tanya, Tanya. Chira, about offline moments. Yeah. Or she was saying about they will connect and share online, but then there is a moment where they come offline. Yeah. And then work with that that information, that data, those ideas. So I think I think it's can we find ways to create offline moments? Again, not unsurprisingly, you know, put the technology down, create some offline time, create some offline meetings. Teams, as we've said, how many times have you been there where somebody's got their phone pinging on the desk and you just <laughs> feel like smashing it with a hammer? <laughs> right. In fact, next meeting, I'm going to bring a hammer with me. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone bring a hammer rather than a phone. And, uh, <laughs> and I did something recently with, with a, a program I was running and I put on the table pipe cleaners. And so instead of, and I said, okay, put your phones away. And we all agreed and we had a bit of a laugh and fun about it, how we sort of interact with them. Put a bunch of pipe cleaners on the table and they would turn in the most weird and wonderful things just because it was something to do with your hands as well rather than being distracted by your phone. And everyone's going, oh, no, look what I've done. Almost like, oh, I've, I've done the wrong thing. Look at my table. I wasn't listening. I said, no, it's a, it's a great sign because we've, we've taken that technology away and we've created something different in a space for that, you know, look at me type stuff. Oh, I thought you were using it as a proxy for the phone and you just had people in the meeting constantly picking up the pipe cleaner. Hello. <laughs> which end goes <laughs> looking at which it. end goes in your ear? There's <laughs> another bristle. I didn't see that bristle before. No, not quite. But just replace that with or remove the distraction and you know, even replace it with something else. And I think another one, if you're if you're in any type of interaction with another person. Do not put your phones on the desk. Put them away where you cannot even see them. Even turning them over sends a message to that person. I was listening to a psychologist speak on this. Uh, sends a message to that person, I'm not here. Um, the phone is here between us. Absolutely. And I suppose my last thought coming back to Teams, again, where we're doing a lot of work, would be, again, it's thinking about what information do we need? What is the information gap? that we need to, to fill, to be curious about, uh, what information is going to provide us insight that moves us towards our purpose, our goal, our, whatever we're trying to achieve. And so it goes beyond questions that might say, what do you do? What does that do? But then to say, why do we do that? For whose benefit do we do that? And it's those questions, slightly deeper, the desire to fill the information gap with information that actually generates some useful insight that's key. And I think something you could maybe introduce or experiment with, is this an offline piece of exploration or is it an online piece? You could even think on a, a project, you start to mark this as offline, like we're going to guard this time as an offline way of answering those questions. And then we realise there's going to be this online space as well. So you almost start to think, oh, yeah, there's this different type of where technology is enabling us, but then also we're taking that break. So it's not distracting as well. John, I've really enjoyed today's show. Maybe a little deep at times, but you know, sometimes yeah. it's good to ask some philosophical questions and realise those guys aren't so shallow after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny we both laughed just, at that. Yeah. <laughs> they're not just fueled by diversive curiosity. They're actually quite epistemic. <laughs> and I'm gonna go use that word as soon as I go and enter the uh, <laughs> into the house tonight. That's it. Make sure you're wearing your glasses. Say epistemic in a sort of knowing way. <laughs> but that's us, John. Yeah. So uh, what do we want people to do, Simon? Oh, as always, if you can, leave us a rating. 
Five stars is good. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting some feedback about the show. That's always nice. Someone said recently they snorted like a pig on a train while they were listening. So I thought that's always cool with kids. <laughs> I thought really, is that if the I've, we're going for? If I've made you pig snort, my work is done on a crowded train. <laughs> And also, John, you can uh, check us out, occupationalphilosophers.com. And I also, I'm still uh, been very busy, but the Curiosity Advent Calendar for teams and individuals will be on their way. But as always, John. Hey, stay curious, make stuff, play more, have fun, and date life. Now, thinking, John, about, you know, you have this sort of smart technology. What would you make smart in your house if you could do anything? Um, I think maybe the, the dishwasher. I think maybe something that told me how to load it properly and told me off when I didn't do it right. I think my wife would like that. Well, this is this has triggered an even bigger thought. <laughs> I'd make my whole kitchen smart, but only for the kids. So the drawers would come out and sort of lock them in and sort of maybe push them around a bit so they can't leave the kitchen because they've tidied up and stop leaving your crap around. <laughs>